Hello, welcome back to another episode of On Social Impact, the podcast that's dedicated to championing and celebrating all of the amazing social impact businesses across Ontario. I'm your host, Neil, and again this week I'm meeting someone who's got such a passion for what they do. They've got a real clear vision for what they want to achieve, how they want to achieve it, and excitingly are bringing best practice from across the entire world to bear on a real social issue. So this one's really exciting and it's got some practical stuff at the end that you, my lovely listeners, can do to get involved and to help them achieve their goals. So please, kick back, get a cup of coffee and listen. I think you're going to love it. And don't forget, reach out via Twitter at OnSocialImpact to let me know what you think of this episode. I'll see you again at the end. So my name is Michael Braithwaite and it's my privilege to be uh, the leader and the CEO for Raising the Roof Canada. And what Raising the Roof really does is we look at long-term solutions for preventing homelessness across Canada. Uh, we look all over the world for these solutions, sometimes in the UK, Australia, the United States, and even in our own country. And we look for great models that can be duplicated and scaled um, and, and put those together, put some evidence behind them if they don't have them yet find some funding and work with the, the people doing the real grassroots work on the ground to make those those programs happen for, for true change. Um, one of the things that we do that's a little different is, is so in the field of homelessness, quite often you hear about people reacting to homelessness. So it's already occurred. And, and the question we kind of throw out there is say, what would happen if we actually spent some resources and time preventing it from ever happening in the first place? Because you can't really end homelessness if you don't stop the new influx of people coming into it. Of course, that makes perfect sense. And you've touched on such an important point there, because I think when people hear homelessness or action on homelessness, the first thing they might think is we need to open more shelters or get more night shelters open, find more beds somewhere. But it sounds like you're really taking that approach in a different direction and going in and trying to find some of the root causes of homelessness. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of homelessness stems from systems, right? We're actually putting people through different systems, whether it be the school system, the judicial system, the child welfare system. You know, kind of launches them right into homelessness. So we've got a, got some systems to fix, and also, you know, if, if there were supports put in place in some of those systems, like the school system, ahead of time, could we prevent people from uh, those issues that push them into homelessness? The causes. Uh, from occurring and you know keep them in school and and you know prevent fewer families from breaking up and um, goal of reducing homelessness. Of course, so, I mean it really sounds, Michael, like it's about early identification and early action. So how do you how do you get in at that early stage? How do you identify people at risk and, and work with them from there? Well, I, it's very not my idea. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever had an original idea, and I'm okay with that because others have, and they're brilliant. And so we take those ideas and work with them. And an idea out of Australia, if you really think of working upstream, so if you know you're, you're going to help kids ahead of time, let's work upstream instead of reacting to it. You think that of that? Every kid has been in school at one point or another. Cool. Um, and we so you know if, if you're going to do good work and if you're going to prevent it from happening work with the schools while the kids are still in school. And there's a program that uh, he's actually visiting now out of Australia. Uh, it was called the Jalon Project. We call it the Upstream Project here in Canada. And it does really that. It uh, Although teachers can sometimes identify some of the kids that are struggling, they're missing 50% of the kids. I would never tell them 
whether they have family issues, uh, uh, debilitating mental health issues, they're in crisis, they don't have a place to stay. So we, we go in and we work with the schools and, and local agencies provide the support around it, but really what you're doing is a needs assessment with students and it identifies who are most at risk and have high needs, then you wrap supports around them to meet those needs. And that's simplifying it, the upstream project. And if those needs are met, where they have housing, they have family support, they have mental health supports, and maybe they just have someone to talk to, there's different levels, really you reduce the school dropout rate, which really reduces people entering into homelessness. Fantastic. And again, I mean, that's another amazing point you, you mentioned there, because I know from some of my experience and working in even local government in the UK, the issues around schooling, young people, homelessness, and then prolonged worklessness throughout their life are so intertwined that I think getting in at the ground level and kind of at the grassroots as you're doing just sounds like a, if you don't mind the phrase, a no-brainer a no solution to, to getting into these issues. It is, you know, and it, the, the surprising part about it, you know, is that it's, uh, it, it's often people can't wrap their heads around it. It's very simple. Let's work upstream. It actually, not only is it human effective, I say that, and we're, we're you know, supporting kids so they don't end up uh, dropping out of school and becoming homeless, um, experiencing homelessness, but it's a cost-effective way to do it. When you're reacting to something and someone, you're providing shelter, you're providing 24-hour, around-the-clock, emergency uh, support that's really, really expensive. In Canada, for someone to spend a year in a shelter, you could be spending uh, $15,000 to $45,000 a year supporting them. Or, you know, this type of program, you can uh, support a kid, you know, for a few hundred dollars, right? And with greater results, without them ever having the trauma of having to enter into a shelter system. Um, so, so, but, but governments sometimes, oh, I don't know, like you're, you're talking when we invest now and in the future, it's not immediate <laughs> savings, right? Or it's not immediate that, you know, uh, build a shelter, put them in, problem solved, which is not true, but it's, you know, it, it's tangible. You can see it. So we have to help and show some of these results and the results out of Australia where, you know, after doing this for three, four years, they saw a 40% reduction in school dropout, which wow. is incredible. A real minimal investment. That is that is amazing. And how have you found talking to kind of government officials at all the different levels? Do they get what you're talking about, or do you sort of really need to take them on a bit of a journey with you to explain what it is you're up to and why it's that benefit for them? You know, I think for for government, it really is about outcomes. All right, explain to me how I could go back to a taxpayer and justify this investment, and, and as they should, right? They want, to be, they want to be transparent. They want to be accountable. And I think that what we need to do, the tough part is we need to convince government to say, hey, you know, we've got some results out of Australia. We've done some early work in Canada on this project. We're not three years in, but we do think based on our early um, results and, and what's coming out of um, Australia that, you know, within three years, we're going to have some solid outcomes. Uh, that you could bring back to the, the taxpayers say we are making an impact uh, in school for our kids and we're investing in our kids. Um, because it's a longer-term project and you need some years on it, and it's not immediate and governments change, we're going to have a, a, a government, there could be a change in uh, uh, our provincial government here in Ontario and then Canadian government in another year. Sometimes that can be tricky to navigate. They, they love, and, and, I mean, the other thing, too, is that a government in Canada, unfortunately, I mean, they, 
sometimes work in silos as well. So this is the Ministry of Education. Yeah, that's great, but it also is the Ministry of Health because we're dealing with mental health. And it's also children, youth, and families. And they don't necessarily all work together. They work in silos. So bringing them all together is, is a real colossal uh, <laughs> um, challenge. Uh, not to say, and I'm a very positive person, I think it can be done. Just take some time. Of course, of course. I mean, that again, that sounds very familiar to me from my experience just in, in local governments and other branches of the UK public sector. Um, the, over time, the drive has been to kind of silo things and put things under neatly identified verticals. Was actually, and I think as you're finding, getting in a human solution, you have to get so many people around the table. It's a, a step change and a change of mind at, at a government level, which I think personally is a really good thing. Now in Canada, we've just, uh, the federal government, our national government announced a national housing strategy. And um, part of that, they've, they've, you know, bricks and mortars, they want to build more and they have to do that. Well, you know, we're not going to build our way out of this. Um, but part of it is they are engaging the public in, and they, they also had some really strong advocates for the prevention work at the table. So I think our hope is in the next year that they're going to invest. They're going to say, yes, we know we have to invest in prevention. What's out there? And we'll, by that point, we'll have a couple of years of data to say, this is out there, it's working We'd love to scale this across Canada. Fantastic, and get that proof of concept going. I mean, in, in terms of proof of concept, just having a look at your website, two of the programs that really jumped out for me were the Host Homes and Night Stop. Um, they both sound really innovative, and specifically, obviously, looking at supporting youth at risk of homelessness. I mean, how, how are they coming along? How, how's their proof of concept work coming? Well, so Night Stop, the Night Stop program is actually out of the UK. Um, and they've been running that for over 30 years. And really it was, you know, in the UK, we have 55 million people and there's, there's not affordable housing and it, it, there's not enough places to build housing. You have to come up with innovative solutions. What I love about NiceTop, NiceTop is really about not just pointing the finger at the government. It's saying, hey, you know what? If we're going to solve homelessness, everyone's going to step up. And so it's community playing a part in that, in that you train and screen uh, community volunteers to take uh, youth then short term until you figure out next steps uh, or get them into more permanent solutions around housing. And and so in my old organization, I was with a group called 360 Kids. Um, I piloted, uh, we were the first ones to bring Night Stop to Canada. And it's beautiful. Again, it transfers beautifully. And I love how it's accredited. Like This is how you measure, this is how you do it, that's how. And we'll be able to compare uh, you know data apples to apples. Uh, and they did that in the community response in uh, north of Toronto when they, they launch that program was you know incredible with all the people that came in and said you know what I, I can do this and we, we did the media around it because everyone's automatic response when you say you're going to have one of these kids who's experiencing homelessness uh, in your homes Ooh, you know they, they're thinking the worst or they, am I going to get hurt are they going to take my stuff I'm not qualified but really what you're looking at the night stop is there's a lot of kids that are low risk kids that you know putting them into emergency shelter or other systems or having them spend time on the street just, you know, would be the end of them and they wouldn't respond well. Maybe they need a couple of days to figure out what next steps are in family uh, mediation, etc. And that's really what Night Stop does. And it's wonderful because it's low cost as these are community volunteers taking in the kids and they're trained and screened. And you wrap a team around the kids. So you're not dropping off someone at someone's home and saying, good luck. You're dropping them off and saying, tomorrow the outreach worker's going to reach out, your housing worker's going to reach out. And that also goes for the family taking the man, that if you have any challenges, we're here for you. And, and I mean, that, the model in the UK is brilliant. I mean, they've, 
thousands of nights off the street and, and other social uh, value uh, to it is, is so high um, and, uh, and affordable and doable in communities that you just, it's not possible to, to build emergency shelters and this is the alternative. So it's transferred well to Canada. Host homes is just kind of the next stage of that. Night stop is a short term, uh, up to six weeks, I believe. And then uh, host homes is not a credit model. There's different versions of it, but it really is the same kind of concept of someone taking in um, a youth into their home with supports and giving the support of housing. Fantastic. And it's affordable and achievable, and, and there's no building around it. And what we see in some parts of uh, even of Canada are these these people who are retiring. There's nowhere for them to downsize to, so they have these large homes, and they have the will and, and want to uh, participate, so they have the space. Beautiful. It's, it does sound like such a, a beautiful model. How do you go about um, recruiting some of the hosts? How do you reach out to them and how do you then vet them? I think, so So with the recruitment, it really is, you know, you want, and one of the, the key things when we were recruiting at my old agency and we went in uh, and the media came out to do something, you know, you had me talking there and people drowned that out, another CEO saying his thing and you had staff. But when a youth was on screen, unscripted, and said, hey, look, just because I'm experiencing homelessness doesn't mean I'm a thief or a bad person. I just need a place to stay. And the power of those words, right, where people make people rethink. Like, wow, yeah, I could do. But a lot of it is outreach to the faith community where people are saying, again, this could work not well. So you do what people have said, you know, I'm going to take this homeless youth into my house on their own. And it's a disaster because that youth is high risk and mental health issues and it doesn't work out well. This is that kind of match.com. So you're matching the right youth with the right person. You're wrapping supports around them. And, and, you know, with the first few that do this, if you have positive stories that come out of it, you share that, it starts to build on that. So it's tough. It's a tough slog at first. But as you, you start to build those stories, as they've done um, in the UK, where they have some wonderful stories coming out of Night Stop and hosts saying this was a great experience and wonderful for my family. Um, you know, you, you build that up and up. So it's over time, uh, right? So you, you want to you, you recruit a few people even from your board and others to as your kind of um, pilot people and, and build from there. Of course, so very much getting that sort of social proof and I suppose people talking to people about other people as well. And it just sounds like a really good community level action and quite tangible as well, I, I should have thought. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's funny, I think... People's version, uh, like when you ask people, you, you'll say, describe homelessness to me, right? And they usually describe that uh, a guy in a street sitting on a car over the sleeping bag over him. They, they rough sleepers, right? That's, that's what they think homelessness is. And that's such a small percentage, although that is homelessness, but it's a small percentage of what it looks like, right? In fact, most youth, you never know they're homeless because they don't describe themselves as that because they think of that as well, right? So it's very hard to wrap, wrap your head around it where, you know, everyone's kind of a degree or two away from either knowing someone that was experiencing homelessness or experiencing it themselves when so many people are on that bubble of a paycheck away, right? And would they then want people to turn uh, turn away from them, right? So homelessness looks very different and it's very hard to measure as we know because not everyone's putting up their hands saying, count me, count me. Um, because it, it's not just evident to the, the, the naked eye, especially with you. You go to school, they, they walk around all night, scared, not knowing what to do, and they go back to school because it's their safe place. Maybe they're sleeping through the day and the next day um, just to get through, and, and they're finally feeling safe, 
right? Um, so the host home uh, and night stop model is also cool because it's in their own community. They don't have to leave their community. No matter what fragments of family or connections they have, they still have, if they still have some of those, you want to keep those intact. Of course. Absolutely. And, and keep the, like I say, keep people in place in their, their communities and keep those, I imagine those bonds of friendship that they've built up with, with other youth maybe in the same situation or just other youth at schools and so on. That, that supportive network must be so important to them that it's hard to grasp. I imagine if you've not been in that situation. So for, for most kids, I say youth, I always call them kids, and that could be up to like 25, 26. Imagine uh, university Christmas time, holiday time, everyone goes home with their families. And yes, I can't wait. For those kids, like, where the hell am I going to go? You know, no one knows. I don't have a family to go to. The school's shutting down. So, you know, I, basically it's two weeks of finding a place to sleep. Or, or And some of them go back to the agencies that have helped them get to school. Or for a kid in high school who... You know, this long weekend, although everyone's celebrating for them, it's torture because it's four days without seeing their friends, without warmth, without feeling safe. Um, and it really makes you appreciate every time, you know, you're saying you had a warm, you have a warm spell right now in Canada. Um, a couple of weeks back, we, you know, it was supposed to be spring. We got hit with this, this storm that was awful. People were complaining, you know, third world kind of, ooh, you know, I'm going to have to shovel, um, gonna have to well imagine if you had to shovel off your bed yeah. or if that came down and you were like i could die in this i could freeze to death you know these are the realities that uh, people experiencing homelessness face absolutely and so again it sounds so much like a lot of your work is around reframing that conversation just on what homelessness is as well as acting to tackle it yeah it's about dignity too i think sometimes we think bare minimum right so if i say to you you know, what, what comes to, if I, all right, so let's, let's try this out. I'm going to describe something to you. You tell me what, you, what the first thought in your mind is. So if I, I say a concrete room with 30 metal bunk beds in it, what do you think of? Oh, first thing that comes to mind is prison dormitory. Yes, <laughs> exactly. But that's what a lot of shelters, that was the concept. Let's do bare minimum. We're going to have concrete walls. We'll shove everyone in these on cots or bunk, metal bunk beds. It shouldn't be, I mean, these are not criminals, these are human beings, and we've got to do better. There's got to be, if you, you, you treat them like that, maybe they'll start acting like you're treating them. We have to do better, and you see it. We've got to build people who are able to go into uh, supportive, adequate housing on their own with supports do much better than warehousing people in these uh these the shelters that, that you know and i'm not slamming the people that run the shelters they, they do with the best they can with what they have we have to change our mindset around it uh, and then part of that prevention is coming up with different alternatives so they don't enter into that system if you're on the streets for longer than two years in and out of homelessness chronically homeless um chances are it's going to be a lifetime and that lifetime is much shorter for those who experience homelessness but you know 20 30 years uh, on the street. I, I have a sister who uh, we all, there's four kids and we all grew up in the same household with the same, um, you know, all, all the same things that came to us. We're good parents, but she has some mental health issues and she's been in and out of homelessness since she was 16. She's now uh, 40, 47 years old, 48 wow. years old. And I don't think it will ever change, right? Because we didn't have the supports, we didn't work on the preventative side uh, of things for her. And so I've seen that right in front of me, what happens when we don't do the work ahead of time. Of course, of course. So, I'm fascinated to hear you've got that direct personal contact. I mean, 
Again, with Raising the Roof, it sounds like you're involved in so many things and so many important things as well. Can you talk a little bit about how you how you fund the, all of this work? Um, with great difficulty, is the answer in a way. But, you know, it, it is a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. We, we do look to the government, all levels of government, whether it's local, uh, provincial, or federal government, to step up. We're always pitching them. There's always different uh, streams coming through. Um, and as well, we uh, we run a campaign. What we're known here in Canada for, the reason that we've got its, its roots through a group of volunteers to say, hey, look, we've got to do something across this country that uh, raises money and awareness around homelessness. So they said, in Canada, being so cold, uh, the winter hats we wear are called toques. The French word for hat is toque, but we use that. So, so you know, that toque represents being warm um, and, and warming your head and heart, right? So, so we launched a toque campaign where we sold toques across the country, and those dollars were used um, not just for us, for the agencies selling them to uh, in the battle against homelessness. Okay. Um, and, and so... And that's that was our route. So we still do that two campaign. That's what if you ask people oh, raising the roof, the two people, um, <laughs> and so that helps raise some dollars. And we also do uh, you know a couple of different events. Uh, we work with corporate um, corporate uh, people as well, and so all sorts of different things. We do a door to door campaign where we have a group that goes around and uh, talks to people about the work we do, uh, trying to build monthly donors. Um, but it's always it's always a, a challenge. I don't think we ever take that for granted. But there's dollars out there. Canadians care, and they've been good to us, and we will continue to push up. Excellent. I mean, it does sound again from a, this discussion and other discussions I've had through this podcast. It sounds like there's so much goodwill and good community will out there across Canada and across Ontario. It's having the skill to the skill and the perseverance to find that and tap into it in a meaningful way and again with the two campaign and the sounds in the six it really sounds like you you've got some great things going alongside the, the more formal funding streams the grant streams and so on well i think the other thing to really remember is i think in the non-for-profit world we quite often get fall into the thought of that we can run a business you say well we're not for profit but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't run a successful business if you lose money year over year over year and any other business would shut down. And, you know, see, it's the same thing in the not-for-profit world. We just have to think a little smarter, too. So we've begun that at Raising the Roof. We've uh, begun based on, again, another uh, program out of the UK. We've begun a program called Reside. And the idea behind Reside is to refurbish existing vacant homes, and there's thousands of these across Canada. Uh, we do the work. We work with a group building up who, a social enterprise that, you know, we could hire anyone to do the renovations, and we raise the money to do the renovations. Um, but uh, they, this group hires and trains young people and launches them into the trades and does the renovations alongside seasoned contractors. So you're creating youth employment. You're creating affordable housing. Once we have the homes, we enter into a lease with a local organization looking for housing for their uh, individuals in support of housing. So now they have housing for long, the long term. They have a great building. But, but also behind this, every... Every six homes we do, and they're paying rent, uh, but affordable rent, we can do a seventh home four years later. So wow. it's, it's self-sustaining. Um, and I think that's the business model. The more you add to this, the more you can grow the program and continue to go on, right? So it, it's you know it's a little bit of forward thinking, thinking that if we're going to run like a business, we have to have a revenue stream. And we can't always be going back to the government and others thinking they're going to sustain us. So we've begun to think that. And even with our two campaign. 
we had a little bit of a social enterprise where the government seeded some money so we could hire some young people to teach them business skills and sales skills. And then they'll go out and practice those skills with selling tubes and hats, raising awareness around homelessness, and then launch them into a, a field of sales. Right, so they're generating revenue. They're also, you're also educating young people. So it, it does a multiple of things. But eventually that program too can be self-sustaining. Absolutely. And I mean, talking about the Reside program, I think that's such a, a wonderful idea. And there must be such human dignity with the, working with the young people. Again, giving them skills and a trade that will literally last them a lifetime and having this kind of impact on their homelessness situation at the same time. What a fantastic, brilliant idea. Uh, you know, what we try and, whenever you do something, if you could do more than one thing, I mean, the other thing with those homes is that we green the homes, we make them energy efficient. So often, in, especially in a place for the climate like Canada, you're, you're, you're saying, here's affordable housing, your rent is $500 a room per month, perfect. But then, because the house isn't energy efficient, your, your, your heating bills, your cooling bills, your hydro bills are another $300 a month, so it's no longer affordable. So we, we green these homes, so you're... You're really, they're really energy efficient, those, and those bills are really low. But the other piece, too, is that allows us to apply to um, climate-committed donors or government around climate and, and greening initiatives, youth employment initiatives, housing initiatives. So it really opens up the funding when you're doing more than one thing uh, within a project, right? I mean, our, our first home that we're going to do for Reside uh, for special needs adults whose parents are saying, look, we're, you know, we're, we're getting older. We're going to pass away, and these kids are going to actually be homeless. So it's preventative if we don't teach them the life skills and give them that experience now, and they have a place to go. So we're taking an old heritage home that would fall to the ground if we didn't step in. The town loves it. They love the fact that you're restoring an old heritage home. Um, you're giving it a purpose. You're giving it a purpose, and you're going to renovate it, put some capital into it. So now there's real asset there. You have a group that's going to benefit that wouldn't have housing before, and you've created youth employment. And you've created an energy efficient home, right? So it's a bunch of different things. It's a true community uh, project where people can get behind it. And to raise funds for it, people really like it because it's easy to, again, tangible. The house is a disaster. Six months later, it's a beautiful home with purpose. Beautiful. I mean, that that just takes so many boxes in one, kind of in, in one program. One, that, that's absolutely wonderful. I love it. And you'd be surprised at how, well, maybe you wouldn't, but I was surprised at how many vacant homes. You have developers that own them, you have government that owns them, uh, individuals that have these homes that, you know, they're just looking for a purpose for them. And sometimes you just do a long-term lease of 20 years, and at the end of 20 years, that person has a well-taken-care-of asset that has had a social purpose, or they donate it, and it, and it goes on longer than that. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and I think it just contributes as well so much to the fabric of the the city and of the place keeping those kind of heritage homes alive and, and with purpose it's yeah it's a, a winner on all counts in my book to be honest michael i love it so i mean looking quickly at just raise the raising the roof i mean what structure has the business got itself um and kind of what's that enabled you to do that a traditional for-profit structure may not have enabled well 20 years ago really we were the only national um group on the scene that, that really had a figure on the pulse of, of homelessness in Canada, where everyone was working in their silos, and Canada's a huge country, um, people were working in their silos, right? Yeah. And, and 
raises the roof. So the first one to pull together and say, hey, can we share ideas? Can we duplicate ideas? We're in this together. Uh, and the model was that. Now, we don't do direct service, right? And, and so really, there's so many people doing amazing grassroots work on the ground, but they just do not have the time to uh, develop new ways of doing things, new um, initiatives, etc. nor can they find the time to fund that. They're too busy funding what they're already doing. And for us to say, here's the tools, here's how you do it, here's the program, here's what's going to move you forward, um, it works really well to play that kind of middle role. Excellent. So real kind of facilitation and yeah, joining of the dots almost. Yeah, you know, we can look around the world for those things, those best practices, things that are happening. Uh, well, we work with our partners at the Canadian Observatory on Homelessness that does incredible research. Um, on homelessness, our partners at Away Home Canada, that's a leader in youth homelessness across the country on the Upstream Project. They're the ones who brought that to Raising the Roots, that can help develop this and, and launch it across the country. So it, it really is um, all of the national organizations working together and, and finding their niche how they can contribute fantastic and so as you're talking this is a very long-term uh, long-term initiative long-term work that you're involved in what kind of things have you learned along the way that you, you could share with listeners and wish you'd really known earlier yeah, that's, that's a good question <laughs> I mean, we've learned a lot i mean i think that uh just because something works well in one area it, it may ne not necessarily work uh well in another I think you really do have to ask instead of tell. So raising the roof can say, okay, uh, in Toronto, this program worked really, really well. Um, but one of the mistakes we made in Canada, especially with our indigenous populations, is going in and saying, this is how you do it. Instead of saying, you know, and this is something that we hope to change in the future, going to those populations, those communities to say, how could this work for you? You tell us. Here's the basic bones of it. How can it work for you? So stop telling people how things are going to work in their community and start asking um, going forward. Of course. And I think, again, that echoes some of what I've heard from UK and actually from other, other countries as well, in that if you can design something with the local community, local population right at the heart of it, it seems to have so much more longevity and more buy-in. It just works. It seems to work better all the way around. Absolutely. Cool. You, know, it, you have that flexibility that, um, and it, it's some things are going to fail. It doesn't mean it's a bad project. It, it just might mean that you know it's the wrong project for that uh, that community. Of course, and uh, I think again, if you can can learn and, and move forward productively from there, it's it just adds to that body of knowledge. Which, to be honest, you you seem to be building up so much knowledge and so much sort of social proof and project proof. Um, it's all to the all to the good. Yeah, and you know what, it, it's. We like to think so. I mean, I think the other thing I pass around too is that I think we're always very quick to point the finger. I mean, there's we're always saying there's such a lack of funding, and let's be honest, there will never be enough funding. It doesn't matter which government it is in; some are better than others, but there will never be enough funding for everything. So we have to be creative. We have to uh, show outcomes. We have to give government a reason to get behind these things and to be accountable. Um, gone are the days where. Just because, just because it sounds like a good idea, something gets funded. <laughs> you really do 
have to have an evidence basis and outcomes attached. Absolutely, I agree, and I think the the passion you've got for it, Michael, is coming over so clearly. It's it, it's absolutely wonderful to, to listen to. Um, I mean, can you share a bit more of your story and what led you into social impact businesses, and then specifically into raising the roof? Well, you know, so I worked with the YMCA um, across many different capacities over the years, and one of my um, one of my last jobs, I was working uh, in a place called Hamilton, Ontario, and they had a men's residence. And it really it was the why was meant to be. If people stayed there, it was a quick stop for travelers. But what it turned into as housing affordability, uh, or, or as people could afford housing anymore, is it became low cost housing. This was set up like a dorm. There were some kitchens or shared bathrooms, but we had 174 men who lived there. That was wow. their, their apartment. Um, and this is when you look at the prevention side of things. It really was. This is what happens when we don't prevent things or put things in place. This is where people end up. There's guys who literally go there and die at the Y because it was the cheapest, affordable, and it wasn't supportive housing with those supports. So it was a tough spot to be in, and I saw that. Um, you know, and so I thought if you could start, and that really led to me working more with youth um, as well, because you know there's so much hope. With younger people, and even in the most dire circumstances, I've seen people that have survived human trafficking, and, and those parents have been the ones that put them into human trafficking. Wow! Say, no, no, this is just for now. Like, I'm not going to be here forever. They have hope, and that's a huge driver. And so, um, you know, for me, uh, we, we've got to do more. I see it, and, and complaining and whining does does nothing. You know, action really will will, will serve us, and. I've seen some of the great work and great people that are out there doing it. I actually truly believe that if we're smart, creative, innovative, if we work smarter, that we can prevent and end homelessness. When I was with a different organization uh, where we'd actually spend the night, the youth would say, here's my scenario of how I spend a night when I'm on the street or how I get there. And so we'd get adults to do this in the middle of winter when it was minus 25 one year. So some kids, you know, $3 a bus ticket, and you've got to go across town to this uh, shelter. And so I, I did that for four years. I spent different nights on the street. You go out at 8 p.m. and you come back at 6 p.m. You sleep literally outside, as kids would. And, and I mean, that's one night. And I see 30 adults, leaders, police chiefs, fire chiefs, superintendents, school boards, hospitals. And we're a disaster one night. You know, and the next day you try and go to work and you can't function and think. And your patience is is gone, you think that's one night. Imagine doing that every night of the year, what that would do to your mental state, why you might self-medicate and why. You know, it's a powerful, powerful experience. Our former Minister of Housing in Ontario did it, and I think that's really what drove his passion to help those after he really thought, I mean, this is our system, this is what we're doing. He saw the wonderful things that were happening, but he saw the huge gaps in service. So, I mean, if anyone ever is wondering, look for those types of events and experience that for yourself just for one night will change your life. Amazing. And is that something you can help facilitate for people? They, they do want to have that experience and really get to understand the issues. Yeah, for sure. I mean, every year I know that there's an organization North of Toronto that does it every year that looks for community leaders. You raise money to do it too for that privilege of spending night on the street, which, which is not hard to do when you say to your friends, hey, I'm going to spend the night from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. on the streets for the um, people experiencing homelessness. Uh, people people actually, you know, they'll support you real quick. I've never had a problem with that, and I can help facilitate to 
a link to that event, which is very powerful. Excellent. And I mean, so speaking of action, how can people get involved with you and help can help you continue your great work? Well, I mean, I always encourage people to become a donor at uh, Raising the Roof. You know, with, with those funds, we can uh, really do great work across the country and, and get it out there. But I mean, as a volunteer as well, um, with Raising the Roof, we have different events across the country. Our two, our two campaigns spread across the country. Uh, we were always looking for volunteers for that. Um, to be, you know, to the ambassadors for Raising the Roof. But even on a local level, uh, you know, I always say this. It starts with just be kind. Be kind. Um, to one another, to those people on the street, look at it a little differently. How people experience homelessness, uh, quit judging, um, and really, you know, just a little dose of human kindness can go a long way. But for raising the roof, we're always looking for donors and, and volunteers, and, and it's as easy as going to our website. I absolutely love the multifaceted approach that Michael and the Raising Roof team are taking to lever in donations, to get up their visibility and to stop youths facing homelessness right across Canada. What an inspirational story, thank you so much Michael and all power to you and the team. And now that you've heard the podcast, get a hold of Michael, keep the conversation going, get out there on the streets, see what it's like for a night, go and experience it and then go and help the Raising the Roof team stop homelessness across Canada. That wraps up another episode of On Social Impact. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, if you've enjoyed the episode, do reach out. I'm on Twitter, at On Social Impact. I'd love to hear what you think. You could also email me directly, neil at onsocialimpact.com. And if you'd like to leave a rating, please, please do. It will help On Social Impact reach more people, attract more guests, and hopefully inspire even more people to get involved in the wonderfully creative, vibrant, and exciting sector that is social impact business in Ontario. I've been your host, Neil. I've got another great guest lined up for a couple of weeks' time. So stay tuned, tell all your friends about the podcast, and keep changing the world.